Hello everyone, and welcome to Novel. This is your host, Caleb Linville. Today, I am very excited to present episode 9 of When the Mountains Called. But first, a few quick messages. Novel is always looking for new, exciting, and thought-provoking stories to present on our podcast. If you have a story or a story idea that you would like to share with us for consideration for future seasons, please contact Novel at clinville at novelpodcast.net. That's C-L-I-N-V-I-L-L-E at novelpodcast.net. Or you can visit our website, novelpodcast.net, for more information. He still stumbled over roots and rocks, but the storytellers had revitalized him so much that he did not notice, not even when Mac had to turn around and actually pick him up off the forest floor because he had gotten his boots caught in a small unseen stump in the middle of the path. He could still hear the laughter of the village people, see the flaming hair of the young boy with the gap-toothed smile, and fear the warmth of Sam's touch as he pointed to the glowing orb above Andrew's head. The orbs. Stories. Pearl. Stories of Pearl. Andrew wanted nothing more than to live inside the orb that had shimmered above his head, sit in that very hammock with his wife, and hold her. Just one more time. Words resurrect the dead, Sam had said. But the mountains had called him for a reason, Mac had said. And Andrew wanted to believe it. He wanted to believe that Pearl was here, and that he would find her. Certainly at the top of this mountain, this mountain with the village at the bottom, the village that had allowed him to see his wife again, even in an orb, and feel joy for the first time in decades. This was what revitalized him now. He was sure she was here. If Pearl had journeyed to this world, death, or whatever it was, and she had come across the wildering people, she wouldn't have strayed far. Not with the promise of stories, and community, and laughter sitting right there. Come on, Tosito grunted Mac, heaving himself over a large boulder. We're almost there. To the top, panted Andrew, but he was so excited at the prospect of finding Pearl soon that he leapt over the rock with the agility and strength of a much younger man. Mac, however, shook his head. The top is not always the peak of the journey, Tosito. Andrew wasn't bothered by Mac's cryptic words. Pearl was here. The joy that had filled his heart and mind by the storyteller's bonfire was only growing more and more the higher they climbed. His pearl was here. He could feel it, the reality of it, a journey ending, surging through every part of him. Pearl, he whispered, and her name on his lips made him smile. They battled thick underbrush and shoved aside evergreen branches. Andrew stepped past Mac, energy welling up inside him, his heart pounding, and he began to run, ignoring the scratches of the branches through his already torn corduroys. Tosito, Mac called, but Andrew paid him no attention. He was panting heavily now, but when he looked up, he was sure the orb was still above his head. This time, Pearl was riding her favorite horse, happy-go-lucky, through the fields by their little house, while Andrew looked on from the porch, sipping his morning coffee. It was in the early years of their marriage, right when they'd bought the property, and her hair was more golden than ever, a sharp contrast to her horse's dark mane. In the image, Pearl laughed inaudibly as Happy-Go-Lucky broke into a gallop. 
In the woods now, Andrew pretended he was riding next to her, charging through the evergreen branches as if they did not exist. He did not know where Mac was, but still he ran, sharply uphill now, and there was a clearing ahead. The blue sky poked through the trees with no other rock in sight. If he could get to it, there might be a vantage point. Maybe he'd spot Pearl from there. Twenty yards now. She loved bouldering at the base of the mountains across the river back home, when she could find rocks sturdy enough, and with enough handholds, perhaps she'd be bouldering here somewhere. Ten yards. He felt like he could run forever if that meant finally finding his wife, and he would, too. Call to me, mountains. Tell me where she is. I'm here. Adrenaline coursed through his veins, and the orb above his head swelled, making his hair grow hot. Andrew opened his mouth as he ran, closing the last feet between himself and the clearing in the trees. Pearl, he shouted, hearing the laughter in his own voice. I'm coming, Pearl. He flung his body forward into open space. The ground disappeared beneath his feet, and Andrew looked down, eyes transfixed on the great gully below and the surging river that plowed a path through it. His heart dropped, and a cry rose in his throat. But before he could scream, a hand wrapped around his wrist, yanking Andrew backward. His feet tripped over solid earth, and he hit the ground hard, knocking the wind out of his chest. Next to him, at the top of the ridge, Mac was panting too. The first sign of fatigue that Andrew had seen since meeting him what had to be weeks before. Don't do that, gasped Mac, staring at the cerulean sky above them, chest heaving. Andrew coughed and sucked in a deep breath, wheezing. I... I'm sorry. Th thank you, he managed. Mac grunted in response. Boy, if that's what one story does to you, Tocito, I can't even imagine what will happen when you go back and choose to share more. Andrew's head swung sideways. Go back, he asked. Go back where? But Mac was standing now, staring out over the ridge, eyes locked on the towering purple-gray mountain across the distance the gully created. The nearest rock of this new mountain had to be a quarter mile away, but as he shifted his weight, pulling himself up so he was reclining on one elbow, Andrew thought he could see the figure of a person against the dull rock. He scrambled to his feet. Pearl? He said wildly, but Mac was already shaking his head. He was breathing normally now, but Andrew's heart still beat faster than normal. He still felt it the bubbling, soft, prickling sensation in his chest that had burst forth from recalling each of the past moments with Pearl. He looked up. The orb was gone. The image of Pearl disintegrated somewhere, but the feeling remained. If not a little muted after having been snatched out of thin air and saved from certain death. This is what I wanted to show you, said Mac, gesturing across the gully towards the figure on the mountain. Andrew hoisted himself to his feet and stood next to Mac, squinting across the gap. Flex the sides of the man's head were falling from the mountain, rocks breaking off from the mountain face itself. Listen, Mac whispered. Andrew craned his neck forward, and as his vision came into focus, he heard something too. A long, loud wail. The man was howling, and as Andrew watched, he drew his leg backwards and swung it forward striking the rock, pieces of which broke off and crumbled, falling into the gully below. As it happened, the whole mountain seemed to shudder. What's going on? Andrew murmured, and as he continued to watch the man, the joy in his chest faded. Now he felt something else, something like pity. You've met the valley girl, 
the forgetting mountain, and the wildering people, said Mac, turning to look at Andrew. His eyes were deep, searching, and wise. You've seen and known what each does for its inhabitants, or those that venture to them. This, he pointed across the gully, this is the altruist. That man? asked Andrew, and Mac shook his head. The mountain. He does something else entirely. Andrew looked at the mountain. At first glance, it seemed like any other mountain, which was to say inanimate. But as Andrew had seen with the Forgetting Mountain, first appearances were here were not always what they seemed. He took a deep breath and scanned the mountain again. As the man on the ridge continued to kick and punch the mountain, wailing and crying, Andrew watched the rock face around him and listened to the sounds that surrounded it, beyond the howls and screams of the man. When the man punched, rocks fell, and the rest of the mountain shuddered. The mountain straightened up, just in time for another one of the man's blows. But Andrew fumbled for words. He's hurting it, or him. This destruction, it's not helping. Andrew glanced at him. Isn't it? He said quietly. Andrew gazed out over the gully and get herring rocks from its face and hurling them into the ravine. He kicked and scraped the boulders at ground level and pounded the rocks at eye level. Each time the mountain shuddered, and each time the man howled more loudly. But with every blow Andrew noticed, the man's arms and legs grew more fatigued, moving slower and slower, blows softening and lessening as he wore himself out. Eventually, the mountain rippled one last time, and the man collapsed, letting out one last howl before he turned towards the rock and curled up against it, chest rising and falling shakily several times before it too slowed, until the man was breathing normally, fast asleep against the body of the mountain. Mac turned to look at Andrew, and Andrew was surprised to see the other man's normally bright eyes duller now, holding a mixture of pity, pain, and yet somehow a spark of hope. This man, said Mac, his voice sounding much older again, lives with the wildering people, but he comes here to the altruist every now and again. He lost his brother in a skiing accident long ago. He blames the mountain, not this one, but others like it. And so, in this place, he spends some time here, slowly destroying the side of the mountain. And the altruist, he takes it. He allows himself to be hurled off into the abyss or against other parts of himself every single day by this man and by others like him, all for their sake. Because at the end of the day, this man collapses and sobs into the rock, overcome with what he sees as the futility of his actions to assuage his insurmountable grief. And the altruist comes around to him then to comfort him until the next sunrise when the pain and anger returns. Indeed, as Andrew looked across the gap again, he saw the mountain curl towards the sleeping man, trees reaching towards him, rocks softening beneath him, creating something like a massive embrace. This man's outlet for pain and sorrow when it comes, said Mac, his voice low, is destruction. If the man did not destroy the mountain, he would destroy himself. The altruist allows himself to be destroyed, so that this man is not. Andrew said nothing, but his heart was filled with pity for both the man on the mountain 
and the mountain itself. And yet, as the sun sunk closer to the horizon, you couldn't help but notice the man's softened facial features, and the way he snuggled closer to the mountain that wrapped around him, the same mountain that had only recently taken his blows. Do not be ashamed of the sorrowful times, Tocito, said Mac, eyes burning again. The wildering people and their stories, they are both joy and sorrow. Sorrow and joy exist together in grief. They always have, and they always will, just as there cannot be a dusk without the dawn. Rejoice in the dawn and take heart in the dusk, because dawn is coming. That is all we can do in this world. Andrew tore his eyes away from the altruist. What do I do, Mac? He whispered. The other man's hearty chuckle rocked the trees beside them, and the familiar down-to-earth Mac was back. Well, if that ain't a loaded question, he said. As for you, Tocito, what do you want to do? He gestured across the ravine to the sleeping man. Throw rocks? He pointed to the east, where in the distance the great river glistened and green fields sway. Or sit in the valley for a while. At his question, Andrew's shoulders sunk. He had found a spurt of energy after visiting the weltering people, and it had almost killed him. Now, sitting on this ridge, he realized that he had not slept in what felt like days. Since he had first left his house, he had floated down a river, walked a mile in the woods, met Mac, journeyed up three different mountains, and so much more, all in an effort to find his wife, to find his pearl. But now, sitting there, watching the altruist wrap around this man, this man who exhausted himself day after day in anger, pain, sorrow. Andrew realized with a pang in his heart, isolation. He couldn't help but see himself in that previously destructive man, not as he was in his past life back home, but here in this world, now. If he wasn't careful, forever running and searching for something that might not be found, at least not in the way that he anticipated. Mac put a hand on his shoulder. Do you understand now, Tocito, what this world is? Andrew looked at his friend, at his bright, burning eyes, and instead of blinking, Andrew stared back. Images danced in Mac's eyes valley girl, sacrificially parting rushing waters to provide rest. The forgetting people, trapped forever in their own desire to avoid pain and reality. The wildering people, sharing stories that in some form brought memories to life. The altruist, forever allowing itself to absorb the pain and sorrow of those that needed release. And woven throughout each of these personalities and places, threads of a thousand individual journeys, Max Julia skipping rope, Samson's boulder home erupting in flames, the man whose brother had died in a skiing accident, and of course, Andrew's own Pearl, relaxing in a hammock one day and pinned to a hospital bed the next. And as Mac had said, there was also pain and joy, forever pulsing between the threads, each inextricable from the other, without beginning and without end. Healing, said Andrew, his own voice sounding as if it were coming from somewhere other than his throat, 
like an echo deep inside him. This world is for healing. Mac's eyes glowed brighter, and this time, he was the one to blink. When he opened them again, they were a deep green. Yes, he said simply. Yes. Andrew closed his eyes, sitting back and looking out at the sunset, which had faded from red to a pinkish golden, much like that last sunset he'd seen from where he stood in his own fields, grasses tickling his ankles, his old corduroy making his legs itch. Mac nudged him. What do you reckon, my friend? Where will you find your pearl? Andrew looked to the east, where the great river was being dammed by a gentle girl with long blonde hair and swirling black skirts. There is good in powerful grief, in a course directed. In balance, the valley girl had meant, in joy and in sorrow, together, both in going and in resting, in staying and in moving on. He had been going a long time now without Pearl, a long, long time. He had stayed in the same house for longer than he could really remember. The same comfortable house with shutaway memories, keeping stories from even himself, moving as routine allowed, but never moving on. It was clear to him then, as Andrew sat with his legs dangling off the precipice of a ridge, with the sun cooling against the horizon, next to the closest companion he'd had in years that it wasn't Pearl who had died 25 years ago on that hot July day. And so, for the first time since he had been without his wife, Andrew acted for himself, to save his own life. Let's go to the valley. I think I'll rest a while. Thank you for listening to Novel. I hope you enjoyed this segment of our story. Please consider liking, subscribing, and reviewing the show to help the show grow, and also so that you don't miss out on the newest episodes. Thanks. This episode was read by Jonathan Keener, written by Shannon Baker, with hosting, production, and original music by Caleb Linville.